Generation Red Pill. You know us, you love us, because we take you beyond conspiracy theories right to the heart of conspiracy itself. I'm Jason Spears with my co-host, Christopher Dean. Back to school, baby. Join us as we go behind enemy lines to reveal the truth about another aspect of this occult matrix as we discuss in this week's Intel Briefing. Seven Sacred Sciences, Part 1, The Trivium. Are we as a species at the pinnacle of education and discovery, or have core tenets of our learning been stripped away, leaving us vulnerable and susceptible to the control matrix? <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about that and more coming up right here on Operation Red Pill. Welcome back to another episode of Operation Red Pill, where we take you beyond conspiracy theories right into the heart of conspiracy itself. But got to talk about first things first, and that means introducing Christopher Dean. How you doing, bro? Hey, man, I'm doing pretty good. Nice, nice. I hear we got something interesting to get into today. We do. There's, there's lots to get into. So let's talk. All right. First, what do you know about biological virus communication? You know, not many people know that in my summer break, I did a little bit of independent research recently. <laughs> actually, you know, it wasn't summer break. I think it was about a year ago. Uh, did you watch a documentary? No, actually, I had the unfortunate experience of, of being in a documentary about viral exposure. <laughs> I didn't know where you were going with this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I contracted COVID last year. You did. You know, and I got a one-on-one with this whole biological virus communication protocols. And I would, I'm going to tell you right now, I am not a fan. <laughs> Could you hear him whispering while you were in the hospital? Yeah, it was a little hard over the wheezing and the beeping. <laughs> okay, but I knew they were in there and they were conspiring not for my greater good. Yeah, no, they, they don't conspire for the greater good. I'll tell you one thing, though. I find viruses actually very interesting. Okay. Just the, the whole world. It's a... It's a subatomic, I don't know if it's subatomic, but, it, you know, it's in the smaller realm of the the microcosm, mm-hmm. if you will. And the way that they seem to operate is just fascinating. Yeah. You know, they hijack cells, they have coding, they replicate, they seem to communicate. Like, I find it absolutely fascinating how this whole thing works. Yeah. I thought it was fascinating. I'm always interested in, like, really creative ideas in the medical field. To, to fix problems. Mm-hmm. So like one, one that really intrigued me was my mom has a heart arrhythmia. Okay. So it's because the, there's like shorting out in the heart is really what happens. Like the current jumps where oh. it shouldn't jump to, okay. which, which is what causes the irregular heartbeat. So one process that they have is to go in and they freeze a ring around, um, a valve of the heart, like whichever one is malfunctioning. Mm-hmm. And this scar tissue that develops is less conducive to electricity than living. So it's less conductive. To, yeah. Is that what, is that what I said? You said conducive. Con, less conductive. Yeah. That's what I meant. Okay. <clears throat> so what it does is it forces the current to go the right way and fixes the, the heartbeat issue. Oh, that's fascinating. <clears throat> Yeah, really cool. And when I heard that, I was like, I should have been a doctor. I would have loved, like, how many hearts can we freeze to figure out how how to redirect this current? Yeah, I couldn't be in the medical field at all. Why is that? Everything's too icky. Yeah, you do have that. 
part of your personality. You're absolutely right, man. Because after watching Independence Day, I was done for. Like when they took the little scalpel to the alien's head, uh-huh. cut it open, and it like whoosh, flapped open, and then they had to get all the guts and stuff out. I was like, oh, the slime. Like I don't know why God had to make the internal, the, the human body so icky. Most hospitals, though, don't dissect extraterrestrials. You said most. I will find that I will probably end up in the one that does. I mean, maybe you were. Yeah, so I, I knew that wasn't the way Jesus was calling me. <laughs> you know, neither was he calling me to study viruses. Well, maybe he's... Oh, no, we kind of study thought viruses in a way. We do. Uh, G- Gadsad calls them uh, mind parasites, the oh, thought parasites. Nice. Yeah. I like that. Uh, we do, and it's kind of interesting. Viruses, thought parasites, what have you, they seem to have kind of this, um, I want to call it like a, a, a quantum communication field. Okay. Because they seem to be able to communicate almost like, you know, that whole idea that light particles communicate with other light particles and they know exactly what they are doing at any point in time. Quantum entanglement. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Really weird. Yeah. So if that's true, you know, trying to get in and see if viruses communicate is, is fascinating. I don't know if they do. They, they actually do. Really? Yeah. They talk to each other. Uh Uh-huh. And they, they actually plan their attack. Like Are you serious? Whether to uh, like hide, like hunker down in the host cells. Really? And they, it's, it's an attack plan because they want to make sure there's enough of them that they have a chance of, su- of succeeding against the, the body that they've infected. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. It's crazy. That is wild. So it's, it's, it's so proven or, con- or consistent an idea. There's actually a, a field of, I don't know if you'd call it medicine, that's trying to figure out how to disrupt this level of communication. Because if a virus needs to communicate with, say, 5,000 other viruses before it thinks that there's virus cells, before it decides that there's enough of them to put on an attack, Uh if you disrupt the communication and he thinks that he's by himself, then you've cured the common cold. That no viruses would attack if they if each individual cell thought that they were alone in the body. And I am floored right now. Are you really? Oh my gosh, this is like mind shattering. This is so interesting. Okay, so do the viruses work on like a hive mind structure? Or is there a central viral cell that's controlling the others? Because you say if they think they're alone, like, do they all report back? Or? I don't know. I'm not sure if there's, like, a certain number that they just inherently know that we have to have this many before we do anything. I'm not sure, but they plan an attack. Um, These are, like, many demons. Yeah. This is crazy. Yeah, it's absolutely nuts. Is this the discipline of study? Mm-hmm. What's it called? Well, I don't know what the actual name of the discipline of study is, but it is, like, a... Is this what virologists study? Yeah, it would be part of virology. Well, should have known that one. (laughs) That's funny. But I find it it interesting, the damaging effects of cutting the communication, because I don't think that that only affects viruses. No, you know, you you might be right, because we were talking. um, We were talking, yes. See, right there. There it is, the importance (laughs) of communication. Nah, I was going to say that uh, I think there was a, an episode that we did uh, a few weeks ago where we were talking about communication and time. 
and which of those two were, were like the most important. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I made the argument of time, but communication's got to be a close second. Right. And this seems to, to dovetail right off of that and prove communication is extremely important. Right, because if it can destroy all of the plans and the success of viruses, it absolutely can do that to humans. If we can't communicate with each other, it prevents growth, it prevents coordination, um, and really any any success before it begins, because we're no man is an island, you know? Mm-hmm. And there is a discipline that actually helps teach people how to communicate and how to interact with one another. You mean like a like a speech class? Well, not like a speech class, but it's part of the seven sacred sciences. The what? The seven sacred sciences. Okay, now you said that like everybody knows. Every, yeah, everybody knows seven, seven sacred, sacred sciences. sciences. Right. Yeah. And trivium, quadrivium, everybody knows. Actually, I didn't know that, that this was an organized like school of teaching until I heard about it on Dangerous World Podcast. Oh, uh, same. And when I heard it, I was like, oh, I have got to know more. Yeah, I believe this came up on the the tail end of the Alice Bailey episode. Yeah. Uh, and one of the guys on the panel just mentioned it. And I said, what? Mm-hmm. I remember shooting you a text like, listen to the whole episode, but by golly, do not skip this part. Right, right. I was like, it's, this sounds like the, the, uh, the, the other side of what Gary Wayne in his book, Genesis six conspiracy talks about the seven sacred sciences, mm-hmm. like the trivium quadrivium sounds like the other side of that. Cause they start to explain it. And I was like, I think these two are the same thing. Right. Just using different terminology. Right. It's uh, the seven liberal arts, the seven sacred sciences, trivium quadrivium. They're all talking about the same thing. And it blew my mind because it really had me reclassify my understanding of an educational system. Yeah. The one thing that kept coming out as I would research this is we always look at the education system or we should be looking at the education system that we have now and we go, this is what's wrong with it. You know, whether it be, you know, CRT, political correctness, particular agendas that we find in education. Uh, I mean, run the gauntlet all the way back to the adoption of the Prussian educational model. We go, this is wrong. Right. But it, the other side of the coin never seems to show up is, well, what is right? Like if all these are the wrong way to educate and the wrong way to teach, what are we supposed to be doing? That's that's a good point. And the more I looked at this, I was like, oh, this, this right here is what we're supposed to be teaching. So, so you're uh, you're asserting that we should be teaching the trivium and quadrivium? Yes, both. The seven sacred sciences, the seven liberal arts, I think are essential. So much so that I've been contemplating as I put together the curriculum for my children how I'm going to incorporate this as fundamental aspects of their education. Wow. Yeah. That says a lot as to the seriousness that you place on the trivium and quadrivium. Yeah. I've been so excited about doing this episode and all the information. My wife is going to be so excited that this is going to be done. She didn't have to hear about it anymore. Yes. We, we went on vacation and I'm just, I was like, you know what? And she's like, I don't want to hear it. I was like, the trivium. She's like, stop it. <laughs> we, were, we were brushing our teeth one morning and I just leaned over. I'm like, trivium. She's like, stop. I don't want to hear about it anymore. You know, it, it's, I think people underestimate the impact, impactive value 
of a supportive spouse that really <laughs> wants to get into the nuances of what you're doing. Oh, she's supportive and she had heard about it several times. Oh, you can't hear about but it. But I was just sweetheart. like, that's what I'm thinking. I'm yeah. like, really? Like, clearly you don't get, you're not as excited as I am. You must not get it. Let me tell you again. Matter of fact, I blame myself. <laughs> Let me start over. In the beginning, there was the trivium. Right. Yeah. And it was preceded by the quadrivium. <laughs> And it came to produce the education that we now know once it was corrupted. Yeah. I don't see how you couldn't want to know more. I know. Oh. She should be waking me up in the middle of the night. Hey, tell me more about the trivium, quadrivium. Is there a quintrivium? <laughs> Is there five arts that I need to know about? Oh, there's some arts you need to know about. Let's talk about this, man, because <laughs> this, is, this is fascinating. Yeah, th this is dope. So I found this article... Uh, Written about uh, Dr. Jeffrey Lehman. He's a professor at Hillsdale Education Department. He's got some wonderful insights on the trivium and quadrivium. Okay. What does he, he say? He said that they lead us to speak with clarity, specifically the trivium, speak with clarity and see the relation between things. And mm. we are constantly talking about how all of our thought is segmented and compartmentalized. Right. And I was like... I thought that was just a byproduct of kind of how we teach things today well i mean it is but there there's actually a way to teach things to show the interconnectivity of it and that that's a phenomenal transition and perspective right i, I so like that he goes on to say he says keeping in mind that it helps to overcome the old opposition between humanities and sciences you can understand how a university is a university when you understand those basic concepts that alone it's a mind-blowing concept. It is. Because I remember, like, uh, Ravi Zacharias was the first one. Yes, thank you, thank you. Ravi hit me to the real meaning of university. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because, like, when he, this guy, uh, uh, Jeffrey Lehman, says humanities and sciences, you don't think of them as, as, as a part of a unified whole, right? Like, right. the first time I remember coming into contact with that term humanities was when I had to make uh, college class selections in high school. right. And it was just like a subsection of classes that I had to pick. None of them really seemed interesting anyways. Why do I got to take these quote unquote humanities? Mm -hmm. You could have called it alien studies for all I care. I, I didn't care about the term, but the label was important. Right? Just like with sciences. Uh-huh. Then you get to this idea of a university. Ravi really expanded this. And his point was the 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 point of a university was to bring unification out of diversity. So that a student would come to understand a unified perspective of reality through various disciplines. These disciplines were not intended to be segmented. Right. They were part of an organized whole so that you got unity out of diversity. Mm -hmm. Hence university. Right. I was like. Yeah. So I had to go pick my mind up from across the room. Right. And this guy and Ravi was the only one that I had heard that from before I found this uh, Lehman dude. Okay. And I was like, Does now. Does he have a brother? What do you mean? Lehman Brothers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I sorry. don't know. Maybe he does have a brother. <laughs> but yeah, when he's when he's talk, talks about that, these are necessary um, grounding, This the, the seven sacred sciences is a necessary grounding framework to help you understand how a university is a university. And just that concept, you don't even wonder how or what or why a university is, like you were saying. Right. 
So you, we don't ask the question that we don't have the answer to. Like it's so many layers of, it really of being goes, dumbed down. Yeah, because it goes back to what we were talking about with site learning and site definitions. You learn that university is just a place you go to for higher education. Right. Like that's it. You don't break down the word to its constructive elements to get an embedded meaning derived from it. Right. And we should because it it's supposed to tell us how it's supposed to work. But right. speaking of breaking down words, trivium and quadrivium. The names themselves are derived from the Latin meaning ways or crossroads. Okay. So they for for anyone intellectually inclined, like you hear trivium quadrivium and you go, Oh, that's great, I want to know about it. For people that aren't, they're like, That sounds crazy. I don't want anything to do with it. You know? <laughs> uh but it's really simple. It just means so trivium would be Try, ways, or crossroads. So it's where these things intersect. Like T-R-Y? Yeah, T-R. T-R-I. I. For three. Right. Got you. Sorry. The English language is tricky that way. It's great. I love it. Not. So basically it means three ways. Three ways and then. Wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. First of all, you're not going to speed past that like you didn't just say what you just said. <laughs> not a three-way. Okay, thank you. I'm just saying, there's somebody out there that's going, hey, sweetheart, can we have a trivia? These guys at ORP said that it's necessary. This is how you're supposed to start things off. (laughs) (laughs) It will bring unity out of diversity. So I want to make sure we're on the record. We're talking about this is not it. (laughs) Not at all. I don't know if it would have been possible to take a more severe left turn. No, that was horrible. (laughs) Weeks of preparation ruined. It's like, oh, wow. (laughs) It means three ways. So it actually comes from the Latin meaning crossroads. Let's take out the ways part so we can get past crossroads. So try is in three crossroads where these intersect. Okay. No one's talking about a three-way. Praise God. (laughs) And then uh, quadrivium is the same thing. Four different things and where they intersect. I really didn't know much about liberal arts, and maybe I should be feel weird about that. Because okay. I had gone to college, and I really didn't. I had heard the term, but I didn't know what it meant. You know, similar to university, but I was distinctly aware that I was like, I don't know what liberal arts are. I thought it was a political term. Like, I figured these are the arts that liberals practice. Okay. But so I was a little confused that they didn't have conservative arts. Oh, that's interesting. So I was just like, all right, well, I mean, maybe this helps explain why society is moving more towards liberalism. Oh, because they're teaching the liberal they're arts. Teaching the arts of, of liberals. I mean, that's not. I mean, that's what it I makes. It cool. makes sense. Yeah. If if nobody is slowing down to explain the smaller parts of these ideas, then I mean, you're they're kind just, of left to your own devices to make sense of it, right? Yeah, and that's dangerous, right? But American Heritage Dictionary says that a liberal art is uh, those areas of learning that require and cultivate general intellectual ability rather than technical skills. So immediately, knowing what I know about the education system, I was like, that's why there's less and less of an emphasis on learning liberal arts because they don't want you to be able to have general intellectual ability. They need you to learn a skill and do what the employer says. So then you can make a lot of money and have a life that you enjoy, even though money doesn't, can't buy happiness. Good night, everybody. (laughs) Like You don't need no more to this episode. That right there is insane. Because I think you are 100% spot on. Yeah. It's nuts. So the first 
Crossroads. Yes, yes. <laughs> is Trivium. The uh, three constituent parts of that is grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Interesting. I'm, I'm already fascinated. Okay. Because I'm already thinking this, this verse keeps coming up in my mind. Um, train up a child in the way that he should go. Oh, and these are the ways. I'm trying to get away from ways. Is it, I, I is realize, it safe territory? I, I really yet? sabotaged that whole thing. <laughs> I'm sorry. The Lord is still working with me. I haven't got completely delivered yet. Oh, right. man, that's great. But yeah, this, this idea of at least of a pathway, right? Yeah. And if we talk about neuroscience and neuroplasticity, we all know that there are neurological pathways that connect one to the other. And the more connected those are, the stronger the relationship is, the stronger the brain, the stronger the mind. That's interesting. Right? Because God works off of relationships. Mm-hmm. So it's not surprising to me that there are three. And it's interesting, since I'm here, I got to talk about <laughs> it. It's interesting that three is the core that the rest are built on. Yeah. You know how important three is in scripture. Right, right. So... I just, it's just very fascinating to me. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. I never thought of it like that. Yeah, it was just an in the moment. No, it was good. Keep them coming. Keep them coming. No, because my very first one went far <laughs> left. So now I'm scared. Filter them out, but keep them coming. I don't have the, the grammar, logic, or rhetoric necessary to do that. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll work on that. So the, the quadrivium, quadrivium, I can't even talk now. Quadrivium is made up of four ways which is arithmetic, astronomy, music, and geometry. Okay, so you see that list, those three, grammar, logic, rhetoric. There's not an apparent immediate um, tie mm -hmm. to these. Like if this is on the SAT and they're like, explain the relationship between these three. They're like, I don't know. I don't see any. Right. And then you get to the, the quadrivium, explain the relationship between arithmetic, astronomy, music, and geometry. There doesn't appear to be an immediate relationship. But I suspect that there actually is. Oh, there is. All right. It's, what you got? It's great. Well, you could summarize the two groups. Trivium is in the art of words. Wow. And then quadrivium is the art of numbers. Even music? Yeah. So so the way that it works. I guess, well, music is based on numbers. It is. But we have to also, just like we've done with magic, just like what we've done with movies and God, you have to step outside of your traditional understanding of these things. Okay. Because the, the meaning might be greater than what we've known it to be. Gotcha. So with grammar, it's really how we communicate with one another. Okay. Right? Like putting words together to form sentences and, and all of that. Like it's all the... See, I wouldn't think of it that way. Okay. I would have mostly thought of grammar as as the rules for writing. Okay. I wouldn't even think of it as far as, as speaking as much. Okay. I mean, it does apply there, but more so when I hear the term grammar, mm -hmm. you made a, a grammatical mistake. Yes. That's all I hear <laughs> when I see the word grammar. Thank you, Jason. I don't know why that would be the case. <laughs> and, and. <laughs> so, I, 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 that's my, that's a limitation of my scope of the, of, of the concept of grammar. Right. It, it's the full, like you could almost put language in there. Okay. Like how the language works, how humans communicate with one another. Spicking, spicking. Wow. Ex Spoken. See? What a wonderful example. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken and written. Yes. Okay. So that's the first step. And then logic is how we think we have to put these ideas together. Right? I would almost think logic would precede grammar, but okay. But you have to be able to, I mean, how do you even communicate 
logically without communication. Well, you know, I thought that there's logic in how you you structure your grammar. Yeah, but you can be. I was gonna say that you can you can be grammatically accurate and not be logical. Like you can talk and be illogical. Okay, I, I get it because there's overlap in these, right? Well, there is. They're they're, cro- they're crossways. Got you. So yeah, this is just where they intersect. Okay. <clears throat> and then rhetoric is, um, how those things. So we combine the laws by which we should construct our thoughts and how we form our words, and we put those together, and that should form rhetoric which how we combine those two things and how it affects other people okay so, so rhetoric, rhetoric is not necessarily argumentation no it's uh for effect so if you say that's a rhetorical question you've mm-hmm. heard that term what it means is it's a question not intended to be answered but the word rhetorical means for effect i asked the question because i wanted it to have a specific effect on you that's why it's a rhetorical question Okay. So we have to take our grammar, our language, and our logic, put those together, and determine how we share those things and how it affects other people. You said our grammar, our language, and our logic. Oh, well, I was using grammar and language together because I said you could you could interchange those to, okay. to to help open up your idea to what the trivium means by grammar. Does that okay. make sense? Okay. And then the quadrivium. Just a, a quick overview of these. It's all based on numbers. But with arithmetic, you have abstract numbers, right? Okay. So numbers in the abstract, which is just understanding the concept of a number and how it works. You know, like two plus two is four. It's not necessarily representing anything. We're just working through the the mathematic nature of of numbers. Okay. And then astronomy. Well, we'll, we'll, I'll do it a little bit different so it makes sense. I'll, I'll I'll grow the. The concept. The concept. Okay. So arithmetic is abstract numbers. Music is numbers in time. So it's not just talking about music theory, but it's talking about how you apply the abstract numbers of arithmetic over a a time scale. Okay. And then geometry is numbers in space. How you apply numbers in a physical world. bro this is nuts it's so crazy nobody's ever taught me this no it's nuts i i love it and then astronomy is combining all of them because it's numbers in space and time that is crazy yeah wow the art of words and the art of numbers okay it's great so they're considered the seven sacred sciences because they were it was understood that they were the foundational modes of thinking given to Adam mm-hmm. from God, right? Okay. You know, we talk about the book of Enoch and how the fallen angels taught all of these false things like metallurgy and alchemy and uh, cosmetics and all of that, right. things they shouldn't have been teaching. Well, what were they supposed to be teaching? They were supposed to be teaching the seven sacred sciences. Okay, now this I'm, I'm a little familiar with. What you shared earlier uh, was new. Okay. Uh, but uh, Gary Wayne in his book, again, Genesis 6 Conspiracy, mm-hmm. alludes to this. You know, his idea was that God originally instructed Adam in these seven principles, and Adam taught them to his progeny, right? <clears throat> and then there was a schism or a split where you had, uh, you had Cain establishing a, a new bloodline of people. Okay. And with that came the corruption of the knowledge he had been taught by his father. 
Okay. Because Kane gets outside of of the the covered line, may not be worshiping Yahweh anymore, and in turn has at least demonstrated by his actions and being the first murderer that he is sympathetic to the cause of Lucifer and wanting to do things your own way and wanting to be um, a progenitor or carrier of death. Okay. That's interesting. He's the first one to actually kill another human being physically. Right. And so with that new susceptibility, there's the idea that the fallen angelic beings decided to use him as an outpost, as an agent. Like you're evil here. Let's help your evilness. Yeah. Just seeing by what you're willing to do and the means that you're willing to go, we can work. I got something for you. <laughs> we can help each other out. Right. Like this whole thing you've been taught with the seven sacred sciences, this ain't the real stuff. Gotcha. Okay. This is this is child's play. What you gotta realize is that God's hiding stuff from you. All right. You need to learn these disciplines. And so the idea was that it became corrupted through his line. But it's also and, and Gary Wayne backs this up by showing that in scripture, the whole line or lineage that it that extends from Cain all the way up into the flood. They seem to be noted for their technological advancements. First ones to do metalworking, first ones to bring in music, first ones to do you know certain things, um, and okay. then the Enochian records, I believe, hold that one of Cain's descendants, Tubal Cain, was actually one of the ones who taught. Um, I think it, it excelled. I'm going to say taught, but I believe excelled in war. Okay, weaponry, all of that stuff. I know that they list. Um, one of the fallen angels that apparently taught that. I don't know if that was Azazel, uh, not Azazel, Azazel mm-hmm. or not, but we do know that according to the, the Enochian record that that regiment of angels did teach mankind a lot of corrupted arts that would become the foundation of, of the occult knowledge and paganism that is passed down even post flood. Okay. That makes sense. So this idea of seven sacred knowledges and its corruption is absolutely fundamental to mankind. Right. Phenomenal subject. I love it. Right? So, okay, let's go further. What else we got? Well, when we heard about it on the Ryan Dean episode of um, Dangerous World Podcast, Mm -hmm. it was the, I think it was the paranoid American. The guy was saying that he thought it, it wasn't a bad thing to take religion out of school. Okay. But he noted that when religion got taken out of school, primarily Christianity, so did the seven sacred sciences. And he was like, oh, well, you know what? You should have just kept the seven sacred sciences and not taught religion. Well, I tell you, if the record is accurate, and this is what God taught Adam, right? Mm-hmm. And continued on through humanity, you can't have one without the other. Right. There's absolutely no way to teach the seven sacred sciences without Christianity at its core, or or at least Jesus uh, at at its core. Right, you're gonna need that. And if names are important, they're called the seven sacred sciences, not this the seven secular sciences. You know, absolutely, it's crazy. So I was like, this doesn't even make sense. And take the the theology or whatever out of it in a, in a in a very practical sense. You can't have logic and arithmetic in a school system that pushes out anything that's not science, right? We have scientism, um, strong scientific naturalism are just infiltrating every line of thought, right? 
Yeah, but you said a school system that pushes out anything that's not science? Like rejects. Okay. Okay. At least they say they do. Mm -hmm. I mean, aside from witchcraft and all of that other stuff that seems right. Right. Uh, But logic and arithmetic alone, which is just two of these seven uh, sciences, rely on universal, consistent laws of nature. Right. Okay. And strong scientism can't account for these things. These laws that have been put in place since the beginning of time that are, you know, functioning, they have to be provided by a lawgiver if they're laws that exceed the the ability of man. There's a reason they're not wanting to teach these. And when they do teach them, they, they teach them divided because the seven sacred sciences refute the lies they're trying to push on people in the schools. Interesting. Yeah. Almost supposes that there's an intentional method. Yeah. Not only do you hijack the system, you then have to hijack the process. Mm-hmm. Okay. And these were considered essential to master because humans communicate and relate to one another in words. <clears throat> so you'd want to have the art of words mastered so you could interact properly with other humans. Right. And then we we relate to the natural world using numbers and quantities. Hmm. So without a proper understanding of these, we a can't communicate with each other and two don't know how to interact in the world in which we live. It handicaps our navigation in life. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, cause you take the adverse of that and we can't speak with clarity. We can't see the relations between things. We don't even know why a university is a university. If we decide to go, and we're unable to come together under a unified idea of reality. It's almost like as soon as you said that, I can just see Satan sitting at the top going, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Right. He's like, you get it, because that's where you find yourselves today. Right. I, I did that to you. Yeah. I mean, because you can, like you were saying, you can take humanities or you can take liberal arts classes in colleges, but they are in no way taught that they're all parts to a, a greater whole. They're just these boring classes that, that you have to take, right? Exactly. And it's crazy because as a whole, all the seven sacred sciences together formed what traditionally they thought were actually lower faculty modes of thinking. I'm just, I'm sitting here before we get into that. I'm sitting here thinking if this was taught properly, I bet you 90% of the sheer boredom would evaporate. Oh Yeah. The whole, I hate learning about this. This is boring. Mm -hmm. Would probably go right out the window. But because it's intentionally taught improperly, it it produces boredom, which acts as a further impediment to accepting these ideas. Right. Because what's one of the the biggest like hurdles to to get over in school? Like, why am I learning this? Why do I have to learn this? Well, if everything is supposed to be taught interconnectedly, then you're going to know why you're learning it because it connects to this and that connects to this. And it all works together in this holistic view of the world. We're just not teaching that. Or I would have loved to have learned geometry via music. Yeah, that would be sweet. Right. Today, we're going to go over isosceles. In the key of C minor. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Yeah, I probably remember a lot more. Yeah, but any, anyone that, like, I'm not even good with grammar, right? So you look at these and you're like, I don't really understand logic. Maybe I struggle with grammar. Shut up, Jason. <laughs> I didn't say anything. Like, I hate geometry. I don't like astronomy. Like, all of these, 
a lot of ways we're conditioned to think that these things are outside of us, right? Right. Or or beyond our capacity. Mm-hmm. But the truth is they're, like I said, lower faculty modes of thinking. Right. So, so this is like, this is step one. Okay. I'm immediately, my, my conspiratorial side is wondering if this system is not designed in such a way that it, it naturally turns the student against the things they were probably most gifted in. Oh yeah. Like think about that for a minute. I I'm horrible. You know, the student that would say, you know, I, I hate math. I'm horrible at math. Mm-hmm. But maybe you were actually intended to be good at numbers. But the way that it was taught or introduced to you turned you off to it. Right. So you stayed away from it your whole life. Yeah. It's it's sad the way that they've cannibalized education. Right. Because if that's true and you didn't like numbers, mm-hmm. then the application of numbers in various fields you'll stay away from as well. Right. Which means you're going to be staying away from astronomy. You're going to be staying away from geometry. You're going to be staying away from music. Mm-hmm. I just don't really get those things. And their reciprocal impacts on each other because there's relationships between all four of these. Right. Right. That's, that's diabolical. It is. And the, the scarier thing is what, what traditionally they considered higher modes of thinking mm-hmm. would be medicine, jurisprudence, which would be law, theology, and philosophy. Well, hold up. If that's what they consider higher modes of, of education, mm-hmm. then your guy earlier who uh, I forget who he was, the guy who was suggesting the uh, paranoid American. Yeah. His assertion that it would be okay to teach the seven sacred scientists without teaching religion is kaput. Right. Cause it leads to theology. theology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you would basically be saying it's okay for us to build a pillar to support a bridge without building the full bridge. We'll leave a hole in the middle of it. Yeah. That doesn't make a lot of sense. It, so it's illogical, which then would take away from the, one of the pillars, the, one of the support structure of the pillar. Oh, no, that makes sense. Yeah. This is starting to compromise the entire integrity of the structure. Right. Once you start taking out pieces. And what, what does deception mean if you if you take the uh, the Mebian approach? To take away. To take away. Yep. And that's what, that's what we see happening. That's a good point. So get this. In our Prussian-based educational system, a student has to undergo... K through 12 education, right? It's mandatory. Okay. Which is 13 years of indoctrination before being eligible for the lower faculty modes of learning in the university and the right to earn degrees as they progress through the ranks of our society. That sounds like an occult orchestrated system. Oh yeah. And I I would probably feel like maybe I was reaching a little bit. Except okay. for the fact Gary Wayne does a phenomenal, like, uh, a two-hour breakdown on the the hierarchy of the angelic order, right? Okay. And somewhere, I mean, he deals with what he calls the um, the satanic crime syndicate, which I love. I was like, that's a great term. Mm-hmm. Love that, that's fantastic. And what he unveils mm-hmm. is the idea that how things are, uh, Satan structures his organization as a parallel replica of God's, but inverted a bit. And then it it mirrors itself in in the, the human um, the what do I want to call that the human outpost or the or the the human realm right okay I wish I had a better term 
But he talked about how you could probably see this better if you start on the human level and think about it reflected on the higher order. Okay. So he said you have things like uh, take take a human crime syndicate. Who's at the top? The Don or the... Which is? The Godfather? Exactly. Okay. Okay. Right. But now here's Satan who wants to be Godfather, right? He wants to be over the head. Interesting. So it's no wonder that that head is considered that. Same thing with like a triad. Right. Triad has the, the, the same embedded meaning in it. Well, if you if you follow, if you take this all the way through and you start dealing with people who control the education system, it happened to be in earlier times that it was actually the occultists. And remember what Manly P. Hall said, we had to go underground. The occultists had, not we, but the occultists had to go underground because of what the church was doing. Okay. The assault of the church on witchcraft and occultism forced it to go underground. But while it went underground, it began to try to dig its way up from underneath to seize control. Okay. And at the same time, it had to protect itself. So what it ended up doing was it had special knowledge reserved for the occultists and for the adepts and for those of the Illuminati bloodline. Mm -hmm. But then it had general knowledge for the rest of the public. The general knowledge was incredibly controlled and still corrupted while the occult or, or the hidden knowledge was still preserved as, as sacred and tried to be pure, not pure in a moral sense, but pure to, to their, their code. Right. Mm -hmm. Then there was a schism that happened and the schism was, I, th I think it was uh, Dr. Ted Brower that revealed this. It was a divide between quantum knowledge and you, I want to say Euclidean okay. knowledge mm -hmm. that dealt more with the, the physics. Right. So Euclidean knowledge became the basis of education for the public and quantum knowledge became the education for, for, for the occultists and the adepts. Man, that's crazy. Right. Isn't this insane? Mm -hmm. But because they had seized control of the educational system, they began to restructure it after their own orders. So you got degrees for advancement, just like you do through the Masonic ranks. Okay. Right? That mm -hmm. showed your area, that showed your, and all reality really shows your, your conversion to the system. Right. To the control matrix. Mm -hmm. But it, it, it mirrored the occult structure that they have in their secret societies. It's why you become men of letters. It's why it reflects the Greek oh. secret societies. This is why you have to get degrees, um, bestowed upon you for each successive level of advancement. That's messed up. Blew my <laughs> mind. I was like, are you kidding me? So now you just, this point you just made here, K through 12, right? Mm -hmm. That's how it's constantly written. Yeah. You don't think 13, right? 13 is an occult number. Yep. There's no, why, why isn't it 14 years mm -hmm. or, or maybe just solid 12. Yeah. Nobody's going to write 13, so they give you this K. K through 12. Right. Yep. But then throw on top of that what the K stands for. Yeah. The K stands for kindergarten. And kindergarten is the operational name of the military psychological brainwashing protocol that was, in, 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 that was uh, created and absorbed from Prussia. Yep. And this trains civilians to be so <laughs> dependent and devoid of cognitive reasoning that they would be willing to walk full speed into musket fire and sacrificing their lives for the state. 
Yeah. It produced automatons that couldn't think. Yeah. Yo, this this is nuts. <laughs> yeah, it just keeps getting worse. Oh my gosh. Okay, keep going. I'm sorry. I ain't gonna say nothing else. No, it's all right. So now I want to get into the the three steps of the trivium, right? Okay. So we'll start with grammar. And it's interesting that you mis- mentioned, you know, all those the different points of the Prussian education system, because I believe we talked about that in our demonically influenced education episodes, which would have been uh, one and two, right? Those are our first two, like, real episodes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they are. So, so I think we talked about that in episode two. Yeah, okay. because we also talked about grammar and how we're taught how to read in episode two. So we're going to get into that a little bit. Okay. So... The, the definition of grammar is the study of how words and their component parts combine to form sentences. I'm not an expert, but component parts of words sound like letters to me. Okay. And like commas and periods and that, that type of thing. So like I was saying, to expand your, your view of it, it's not just, did you use the wrong word? I was going to also say prefixes and suffixes. Okay. Right, right. Like how how it works and how we communicate. Mm-hmm. I think that the this the sacred science of this is grammar, right? But I think it degraded, like you were saying, Gary Wayne talked about how all of the sacred science is degraded into something. Mm-hmm. I think it degraded into sight reading, and then even more so, like just using emojis mm. to to convey information instead of using words at all. Okay. But the sight reading piece had me go back. I had to go back to to the episode that we did. Demonically influenced education part two, because we we break it down. Do you remember what sight reading does? Uh man, we got so much information <laughs> that, that flies through in the last 30 episodes. If I recall correctly, um, I believe sight reading leads to ADHD because I, I believe it hijacks the hemispherical um the hemispheric appropriation for proper processing of information and ends up inverting it. So that the, what would be the right hemisphere, if I'm correct, right? Correct. I mean, if I'm Um, correct. Isn't it the left hemisphere is forced to do what the right hemisphere is designed to do? Um, I thought it was the other way around, but I could be wrong. Okay. Yeah. The right side of the brain is used to process shapes and aesthetics, right? Right. The left side of the brain is is designed to um, assimilate language. So you have Broca's area which is the, the primary center for the expression of language. Okay. And Winrick's area, which is the processing and comprehension of language. So you have like an in and out in two specific sections of the brain. Both of these are in the left hemisphere for okay. language. So sight reading forces the right side of the brain right. to take over the functionality that the left side is inherently designed to do. Right. So the right side is not inherently designed to do this. Right. It's kind of like using a screwdriver as a hammer. Yeah, exactly. That's not going to be problematic. No. And first off, every time I I go over this information, I have to go, look, there's parts of your brain specifically designed to do jobs. Right? Right. It's not just the the result of evolutionary. Ah, I see where you're going with that. Yeah. So you have uh, Broca's. Especially through mutative properties and qualities that would have had to go over eons. Right. That would be insanity, and that organism would probably die. Right. And that, and if that was the case, then any way that you could get your brain to work would be fine. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, there wouldn't be an oughtness. There wouldn't be a way that it was 
designed to work that going against that would cause a problem. Exactly. But we see that the brain is specifically designed to function a certain way. Even with neuroplasticity. Yeah. It still has an under underlining blueprint to its functionality. Right. So when you sight reading just teaches, or sometimes it's called whole word learning. Okay. So you're not looking at the, the letters. You're just looking. This is what it looks like. This is what the word looks like. So then like in this, like feather and father look like the same word. So they'd excuse like that mistake. Got you. You know, but like you were saying that uh, identifying shapes and stuff is a right brain issue. <clears throat> this is going to have to cause neurological dissonance. Yeah. Hemispheric dissonance. dissonance. Okay. And, and just like when, if you eat something that doesn't agree with you, like, I don't know how all of these things work, but if you eat something that's not good for you, a lot of times your body's natural response would be to throw it back up, right? Correct. So if you're ingesting information in a way that is not good for you, causing hemispheric dissonance, and your brain recognizes this... It's got to eject the information. It has to eject the information, which is what leads to ADD and ADHD, because your brain is continually rejecting information because the way you're being taught is destroying it. Not to mention failed learning. What do you mean? Well, I, I can't remember this. Or this doesn't oh, make yeah. sense. This I, I I don't get it. Which on top of that is going to probably be I'm stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All, All of this kinds of is issues. induced just from a faulty methodology of indoctrin of of instruction. Right. And for hundreds of years, they've been pushing sight reading. And they've been rejected out of schools over and over because it's a known fact that this destroys the functioning of the human brain. And this, if I, if I recall, <clears throat> it's been a while since we've gone over this material, uh -huh. but if I recall, this was pushed by um, John D. Wasn't that his name? John Dewey. John Dewey, yes. Yeah, John Dewey. And the progressive the, education. Exactly, yep. which was funded by Rockefeller. <laughs> Rockefeller established the General Education Board and then through, through that helped to fund John Dewey's school that he was teaching at. I forget the name of the school, but Rockefeller actually, to his credit, put his sons, he put his money where his mouth was, and he put his sons under Dewey's tutelage to go through this school. And every one of his kids developed um, dyslexia. Uh, dyslexia. And they're relatively illiterate. Which when you're reversing the hemispheres of the brain... For processing language, it has that effect. That's why you see things backwards if you're dyslexic. So then they had to get people to help and help them. I think Nathan Rockefeller was probably one of the younger ones. One of his people, if I'm remembering correctly, who helped him was um, uh, Kissinger. Oh, I think Kiss Kissinger was like one of his aides. Interesting, right? But all of this is being pushed from elitist because when you go to the Rockefeller it's easy to put them under the label of a um financial elitist right mm -hmm. and that would be that would be okay but it doesn't really give you a wider scope of what they were really interested in it wasn't just being a financial elitist they were part of wanting to push in a completely occult order right on society mm -hmm. so that would mean you were also an occultist so yeah. you're getting occult-inspired methodologies of instruction. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. I don't have a sound effect for that, man. <laughs> Absolutely wild. Yeah. And then we wonder why there are problems. 
Right. Right. Because with that whole occult methodology of instruction, <laughs> you're going to begin to push out or twist or corrupt and destroy the proper means of indoctrination. One, you take it away from the parents mm-hmm. successively, which they should be instructing their children. You set up public education, you make it compulsory or mandatory, and then you use an instruction model that's designed to detune people's cognitive ability to understand their reality, which makes them increasingly more susceptible to control until you are able to achieve ultimate control, turning them into automatons, which the elite have already said, this is our goal. Right. That's what they want to do. We want to make you dependent on the state Mm -hmm. and you don't have the ability to question. You don't have the ability to think. That's why you don't have the ability to question. And the reason you don't have the ability to think is because the instruction model with the trivium and quadrivium is being destroyed. Yep. Dead on. Dead on. This is crazy. (laughs) And for anyone that's interested about the dyslexia and ADHD in reading, uh, the book Crimes of Our Educators by Samuel Blumenfield and Alex Newman is fantastic for that. Crimes of the Educators. Crimes of the Educators. What did I say? Crimes of Our Educators. Okay. Because I, I think I went searching for that term and couldn't find it. Okay. My bad. But that takes us to step two, logic. Okay. It's interesting to me how many people don't know what logic is. What for are you talking about, Willis? <laughs> <laughs> and as we talk about the the sacred science is degrading into something. Mm-hmm. I think logic has absolutely degraded into emotionalism. Wow. Million dollar point. Yeah. Cause we can see, I mean, look at transgenderism that you've come away from a logical guideline of, of what is real and whatever you feel that you identify as that you identify as is, is now your new reality. It's, it's dangerous. Wow. So what is logic? I've talked to people that have that have a um what is it? Yes, degree, but you get certified as a teacher. Okay. That don't know what logic is. Okay. And I'm not coming against teachers, I'm coming against the system. That how can you how can you train up individuals to teach our children and not have them not even know what logic is? Right. That's scary to me. That's extremely problematic. Yeah. Especially if you're the institution required for teaching them thought. Right. So I would define logic. I didn't actually look this up. I came up with this definition. Okay. Just for whatever that's worth. But I think that logic is the systematic process of assembling thoughts into ideas. All right. I like that on the surface. Okay. Underneath? Yeah, I'd probably push back a little. I would tweak it. All right, so tweak it. I would say logic is the the systematic process of properly assembling thoughts and ideas. Oh, that's a good point. Because you can have faulty logic. Nope, that's true. That's true. All right. Okay, I'll rest All right, my case. I'll take it. So uh, Dr. Lehman, the guy that had uh, the article about trivium quadrivium, he says, in logic, you start with looking at the terms categorizing them, then working them into propositions and figuring out how they relate to each other and form syllogisms and so on. Say what? Yeah. I thought my definition was a little bit more digestible. I I like yours. 
<laughs> so for the person, it's not that I can't figure out what this means. Mm-hmm. But for the person that is not readily versed in some of these terms, there are two that that stick out immediately, like proposition and syllogism. Okay. What do those mean? So a proposition would be an idea that you propose and that you want to find out whether or not it's accurate. And then a syllogism is what I think is, is it not the, the, the simplest form of logic broke down? In every syllogism, you have three parts. You have two premises and then a conclusion. Okay. And we've t- I think we've talked about this a little bit on the show before. I think we have. So one premise would be that all cats have four legs. The other premise would be this thing has four legs. So the conclusion, the conclusion would be, be this thing is a cat. Right. But it's faulty. Could be faulty. Yeah, because the table can have four legs. Right. But if the thing was a cat, like the logic is consistent. Okay. But depending on, on um, like not not all things with four legs have cats. So you, you have gotcha. to use multiple syllogisms to build a case for something. But when you break logic down, you're, and our brains are so fascinating that they have so much processing power. You're really breaking down these elemental parts of logic at rapid pace that you don't even recognize. So your brain's on auto mode. Yeah. It does a lot of processing on its own. That is scary. It is. But even so you might not be aware that this premise, premise conclusion is even a thing, but it's part of the actual processing of your brain. Almost like a subroutine that's running. Yep. I got you. And I think it would, it would behoove individuals to know what this stuff is and know how to use it because the danger in not knowing what logic is Mm -hmm. because everyone has to use it is that you're probably going to be using it wrong. Right. Like I, I have this, um, I have an emotional issue with the whole concept of logic. Okay. Growing up, um, like in the church I, I belonged to growing up, I would probably be considered one of those intellectual people. Mm-hmm. And logic was very important. You would hear things like, um, you know, God's not logical per se. Okay. I'm like, what are you talking about? He works by logic. Right. Right. Or that you don't need to try to figure everything out with logic. Some things just don't make sense. You just need to accept it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I can't roll with that. There has to be a logic behind everything. And one of the most fascinating things that I encountered was listening to people like Chuck Missler or Ravi Zacharias that actually pointed out the deeply embedded logic of Christianity, of scripture, not even Christianity, but of scripture, Mm -hmm. God's divine logic that he works by things making sense. Right. Blew my mind. Yeah. Like the conversations and questions that, that Jesus was asked and his answers. Phenomenal. Like a lot of times you have to unpack it. But it's crazy good how accurate and astute these answers are logically. Right? I, I, I love that. Mm-hmm. So I, I I side with you and agree that people who don't understand logic or people who are turned off to that idea mm-hmm. are probably very susceptible to using logic improperly or falling victim to conclusions that have been based on improper logic. Right. And we can disagree on a conclusion. But we should disagree reasonably. We should, but we we need to be on the same page logically. So here, here's an example that I like to use. Is I believe that my baby is cute, right? Okay. <clears throat> and I believe my baby is cute because he's made up of a bunch of parts that when they come together, they're very aesthetically pleasing. 
right? He's got a cute smile. I think that his eyes are pretty, you know, whatever. But because because of these different attributes that he's ha- that he has and these different um, physical characteristics, I conclude that because of those, my baby is cute. Okay, that logic is sound. All right. You can disagree that my baby's cute, but you can't disagree on how I came to that conclusion. It's kind of like that idea of show your work in math class. Yeah, kind of like. So as we, long as all my arithmetic adds up, then I'm okay from a calculative perspective. The calculus of this decision checks out. Right. Okay. So when we hear like everyone can have their opinion or you have to respect everyone's opinion, I'm going to push back on that because I think we should respect everyone's opinion as long as they're logical. As soon as it violates a law of logic, we should be able to go, yeah, but that just doesn't walk. I absolutely agree 110%. And it gets me in trouble 110% of the time because <laughs> I push back on a lot only because it, I, I see ways in which things violate logic. I think people should be humble enough and accepted enough to get to get checked that way because we all need that. Right. There's no point in holding to an opinion that is illogical. Right. It does you no good at all. It just makes you susceptible to more uh, foolishness, Mm -hmm. if you will. Right. So I think that that is an absolutely, absolutely critical necessity for mature cognitive development and social relations. I think more relationships would be intact and not suffer the harm and degradation that they do if logic ran the conversations as opposed to emotion. Right. Because even like there's been so much pushback given the pandemic and everything that you don't know how dare you, you know, come against trained professionals and experts and all of this. You don't have a degree. We don't have to. That's one of the benefits of understanding logic is if something is illogical, it doesn't matter what degree you have attached to your name, you're wrong. Because it's a fundamental, universal law of logic. Getting back, though, to what we were talking about a moment ago with the press and educational system, Mm -hmm. part of that indoctrination was to teach students that experts held the answer. And students were also forbidden from asking or challenging the, the, the conclusions of authority. Interesting. So it built a a person who would say, that's what the book says, so it must be true. That's what my teacher said, so it must be true. Okay. That's what the guy on TV said who's an expert because we've kind of, we've amplified that system. Mm -hmm. And now it's, we got the pundits on TV that are the experts. Right. Is what the, the financial guy on MSNBC said. So this obviously makes sense. You know, like when the president, who's, who's the king of the United States, gets up and says, hey, I am working with Congress to pass legislation to fend off inflation. The the Inflation Reduction Act. Okay. You're like, hey, all all right. That's how we're going to defeat inflation. Mm -hmm. We're going to put legislation out there and get Congress to to sign off on it. Not we're going to stop printing money because everybody (laughs) understands inflation is not based on legislation or bills that have gone through Congress or laws that have been passed. Right. Inflation is purely based on the overprinting of money in a fiat, in a, in a fiat a monetary system. Yep. 
That's it. So mm-hmm. if you want to stop inflation, stop printing so much money. Right. And cut back the money that's in circulation. What is that? The M1 money supply? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you reduce the amount of money in circulation. That is all you have to do. You do not need any bit of legislation. You don't have to go through Congress. <laughs> you just get with the private bank that is responsible for writing IOUs and you say, hey, take this amount out of circulation. And the inflation instantly drops. Right. Case it's point. simple. It's logical. Yeah. But because you're taught to think of think the expert has the answer, you don't challenge. And therefore, you don't think with logic to ascertain what is true, what is right. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And it's the laws of logic is not six encyclopedias long. It's There's, not? No. Well, what are it, we would, it would seem complicated. There's three laws. Shut up. Not like the three laws from Bicentennial Man, but <laughs> three laws nonetheless. There's really only three laws for logic? Yeah. Okay. So the first law is the law of identity. The law of identity dictates that anything that is true must be identical to itself and different from other things. Okay. So it. So that immediately throws out this idea of kind of sort of. Yeah. And same difference. Right. It also throws out the idea of, well, because two things are similar, mm-hmm. they're exactly the same. Right. It forces you to recognize distinctive differences. Yeah. In order to identify that these things are separate. Yeah. So my baby has to be my baby. Even if he has a twin. Even if he has a twin. Right. He's still this particular of your babies. Right. And in, in that, he has to be different from other things. So things have to be properly identified. First law of logic. You were talking about transgenderism mm-hmm. earlier. Yep. I know for some people in our in our audience, it's probably going to upset them a little bit. But the 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 ideological train that that's built on is assuming that everything is equal, right? So I can be what I want. There's there's no real difference or an absolute identifying standard, right? And that whole movement is continually divergent from this first law of logic. Absolutely. Yep. Everything become. I mean, the whole idea with equality is my issue. Okay. Everything can't be equal. If all things are equal, then nothing is equal. Right. It's, you don't have to get emotional about it. You don't have to have these issues. We can just say, look, this is not logical. We shouldn't be jumping on a bandwagon of an ideology that's illogical. Right. Plain and simple. I, I agree. So the second law, and we see this everywhere, second law of logic is the law of non-contradiction. Now, this one I've heard. This is kind of a big one. Okay. So the law of non-contradiction dictates that something cannot be true and not true at the same time at the same way. Okay. You lost me with the last part. Same time in the same way. Okay. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Sorry, maybe I misspoke. Okay. No, 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 that, that does make sense. So my baby, because I'm just going back to the baby analogy, because mm-hmm. I use logic to, to conclude that he's cute. My baby cannot be cute and not cute at the same time for the same reasons. I can't think that he's cute because he's got blue eyes and a cute smile and think that, wow, he's really not cute at all because of his blue eyes and his cute smile. Okay. Like it contradicts itself. I got you. Yeah. Second law of logic. Third law. 
This is the one I'm always forgetting. I'm like, oh yeah, I got law one. What's the third one? What's the third one? It's the law of excluded middle. Not Malcolm in the middle. (laughs) (laughs) It's the law of excluded middle. Okay. So the law of excluded middle dictates that a truth claim must be true or false with no room to be half true or half false or anything in the middle. I don't know, man. That seems kind of (laughs) right. Kind of, sort of? Yeah, same difference. Yeah. So my baby has to be cute or not cute. He can't be kind of cute because kind of cute, by definition, is not cute. Okay, ladies, I want y'all to slow down (laughs) and listen to that one more time. Okay? (sighs) If a guy asks you, do you think I'm cute? I mean, this has never happened to me, but some some of my good friends suffered a, a, a mortal wound at the hands of female counterparts. When, when, when investigating this premise, because they were handed the ubiquitous answer that is otherwise known as a death nail. You're kind of cute. <laughs> Whenever you hear you're kind of cute, you don't walk away thinking I'm, I'm cute. Right. You walk away thinking, oh, you really don't think I'm cute. You just didn't want to hurt my feelings. Mm-hmm. And my feelings are still hurt. I mean, again, this happened to another individual of mine. <laughs> just related to me. But you get what I'm saying? Uh-huh. It's interesting you don't know inherently these, or well, formally, you may not know the law of the excluded middle, mm-hmm. but intrinsically, you do know that. Right. Because it just doesn't feel right. You're like, well, that doesn't do me any good. Right. But it's important to know it formally because we make mistakes a lot. What do you mean? In our thinking. Like, you can't okay. just, like, our having instincts is good. You don't only live off of instincts, right? Correct. You know, so there has to be some adherence to a, a transcendent law. And the same the same goes with our thinking. And have you heard of logical fallacies? I'm sure you have. Yes. Yes. That I have. So what's what's interesting to me and the reason that this is important to look at, one, if anyone's already feeling like the water's over their head, I get it because we we aren't taught and we don't often think in logical terms. But that's part of the problem because this is lower faculty modes of learning. Yeah, I remember when this idea got sprung on me. I think I was watching the West Wing. Okay. And uh, the president was in with senior staff and he spouted off this Latin. By the way, I always wanted to go to law school. Post hoc, proctor hoc, right? Yeah, I wanted to go to law school because I wanted to to learn Latin. Okay. Don't know why that was the train. So I was like, I'll go to law school so I can learn Latin because they seem to use a lot of Latin in there. Or I'll just learn Latin, period, so I can get smarter. Okay. But yeah, he made this. He made the comment, post hop, propter hop. And I'm like, I ain't, what postman did what? <laughs> and then he goes through with all senior staff, like, do any, you guys know? And somebody was trying to take a stab at it, and this one took a stab at it. He's like, all these PhDs in the room, and nobody knows? And he's Turner's chief of staff, who's like this OG dude. And uh, he goes, Leo, you want to take a shot at it? And he said, because of, therefore, because of it. Hey, there we go. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and so he breaks down this idea that we tend to think that when two when two things occur, one follows the other, that the second thing that occurred was created or caused by the first. Okay. And that's not necessarily the case. Right. Just because two things follow each other doesn't necessarily mean there's a causal relationship between the two. They just happen to follow each other. I remember as a kid... I had made a like catapult. Okay. I took like a, a log and then I don't know, maybe a two by four or a piece of lumber, laid it on it. And I took these empty pop cans, put them on one end 
and set that end on the ground. And then I took a sledgehammer and smashed the end of the, the board that was sticking up in the air. And it caused these pop cans to launch, you know, across the, the yard. Okay. And then I took this one. And as soon as I hit this thing, this pop can flew up in the air and there's this loud crack of thunder, <laughs> torrential downpour. <laughs> I was like, did I just make it rain? You caused it to <laughs> did rain. I cause this storm to come in by launching these pop cans in the air? That's hilarious. Yeah, no, I did not. <laughs> but it's that logical fallacy. Just because I hit it when the storm happened does not mean that my hitting that board caused the storm to happen. Right. Yeah. But there's a whole list of these. There is. And there's actually, and I'll put a link in our show notes. There's 146 logical fallacies. Okay. I I can see someone already getting anxious. (laughs) Like, did they just say, I need to learn 146 logical fallacies? No, not necessarily. That's not what we said. I mean, but if you want to do that, highly encourage it. I've I've tried to learn a lot of them and I'm still not great at it. Yeah, I've got three of them down. Okay, that's about where I'm. No, where you're I'm at. you're way better off learning the three laws of logic and nailing those down, and then just applying those to whatever. Right, and then as you go along, pick up these fallacies, and they're easier to spot when you have an example of them. When right, you can see them work, and you're like, oh, that's what that is. What's crazy is how often this is done in political rhetoric. Yeah, that's the thing that was most upsetting to me is to learn what logic was. And I'll blame you because you sent me the book, Love, was it Love, Love the Lord? Love Your God with All Your Mind? Yeah. By J.P. And there's Norman. a whole section, an introductory section on logic. And they talk about modus polens and modus tollens. And I was like, what does this dude have me reading? <laughs> but, this, this is all part of boot camp, man. <laughs> this is your introductory course. Yeah, going through the gauntlet. We need to have a common framework to communicate from so you weren't subjected to aave right right i got you american no i got it i got it it took me a minute it took me a minute (laughs) but no so yeah like you're saying so then that took me okay i know what logic is i'm learning what logical fallacies are then i found this master list 146 and just scrolling through it was so upsetting and should be upsetting that we find these things in the political sphere right I was expecting that these would be, this would be ammo that I could use in a conversation. mm -hmm. Like, oh man, that's, that's a false appeal to generalization or, or, oh, that's a red herring or, or, oh, here you are at once again. It's a straw man. Right. A straw man argument, all all that type of stuff. And oh, pro pop crop or hockey. You know what I mean? I, I was expecting I could use that. Now, when I started finding out how these are really done, I'm like, everybody does this. This is such a common form of communication. Yeah. That's scary. It is. So guess what we got on the list of logical fallacies? Okay. What we got? Zero tolerance. All right. Now, why is zero tolerance a logical fallacy? So I have this example um, from the website. It says, I just read about an actual case of cannibalism somewhere in the country. That's disgusting. And even one case is way, way too many. We need a federal task force against cannibalism with a million-dollar budget and offices in every state, a national scan program in all the grade schools. Stop cannibalism cannibalism in America now. All right. This violates the law of non-contradiction. How so? Because cannibalism or what the pro- zero tolerance, the problem can't be the problem and not be the problem 
at the same time. Okay, what do you mean? If you have zero tolerance, which is the idea that we there's we have to eliminate even the possibility, which is what they're really talking about when they say zero tolerance. It's not that we won't tolerate any violation of this law, okay. right? So any violation gets punished. That's just normal, logical execution of jurisprudence. Would they say when they... What they mean when they say zero tolerance is they say we have to create a, a situation in which this is not possible because even having it happen is too much of a problem. Does, does that make sense? I might not be explaining it very well. Slightly. So it's such a problem, we have to make sure that it's not a problem. So here's a good example, gun control. Okay. There is a chance that an American citizen lawfully carrying a firearm could do crime. Okay. Zero tolerance would dictate that we have to make sure that we have to create an environment where he can't do that. So you take his firearm from him. Zero tolerance. There can't even be the opportunity for him to commit a crime because even the possibility of committing a crime is a problem. So you have the, the non, the non-existent it's crazy in their thinking that the, the problem would be gun violence, but it's such a problem. We have to, institute rules to make it not a problem anymore so i'm not seeing how that violates non-contradiction because i'm not seeing how saying that gun violence is a problem Uh is also saying that gun violence is not a problem well if you were going to properly eradicate it right uh-huh. So if there was no gun violence at all, okay, because no one has the capacity to do it, because that's the issue. It's not that we've actually handled this; it's that you make it impossible to happen. So once they succeed in its impossibility, right? Then what? It's still a problem. So they still have to. This is where it becomes logically incongruent. Okay. So it's similar to like a Buddhist has desires to desire nothing. Like, but you first have to have you the have desire. to desire to do that, right? So gun, it, gun violence is such an issue. We have to make it impossible to happen. But now that it's impossible to happen, it's not an issue. But you can't step away from the fact that it's an issue. So it becomes the problem and not the problem at the same now time. Now that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I got you. See, now that took us some time to unpack and process through. Right, it's we're not, not cooking dinner. We ain't tired. We didn't just get off work. Mm-hmm. You know, we're actually sitting here engaged trying to process that. Imagine a person is doing everyday activities and comes across just hearing that. We got to have zero tolerance for X, Y, and Z. That seems to make sense to me. Right, because the name itself, fine. Like, anytime someone breaks this law, then... We we don't tolerate it. Right. That's what it sounds like, but that's not what's being said. So it's a misleading label on the front end with a logical fallacy embedded in in the description. Yep. Oh, that's that's messed up. Yeah, but it's part of our political agendas. We have zero tolerance for any any list of things. Okay, do you have another one? Plausible deniability. Yeah, I like this one. I remember hearing this in, in Independence Day. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, about the Area 51 or uh-huh. whatever. And he's like, Mr. President, we had to give you plausible deniability. I was like, ooh, I like that term. Yeah. So the example the website gives is, arrange a fatal accident, but make sure I know nothing about it. This... Ag- <laughs> Okay, that was easy. Right, it is. But it, again, violates non-contradiction. You can't know and not know about it at the same time. Now, see, the way I got introduced to plausible deniability, the, the person didn't know. Somebody beneath them knew. That way, the person above could say they didn't know. 
Okay. Hence why, why didn't you tell me about Area 51? Well, as long as you don't know about it, you can deny it. Okay. But this example makes the person a contributor to the problem. Right. Where they actually do have knowledge, but they want to, they want to, um, they want to feign a lack of knowledge on the issue. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I get that. Okay, political correctness is on the master list of logical fallacies. It is not. It is. So in this example, we have today we strike a blow for animal rights and against cruelty to animals by changing the name of pets to animal companions or never ever play the victim card because it's so manipulative and sounds so negative, helpless and despairing. Instead of being victims, we are proud to be survivors. Of course, when victims disappear, then the perpetrators conveniently vanish as well. This is a violation of the law of identity because you can't change a thing by giving it a different name. If you're really not a victim of a crime, uh-huh. then was there a crime to then have victims of? Nice. It's interesting. It is. Now, my mind, I had to pull my mind back because I shot over to, you said that you can't, uh, I wish I could record your actual phrasing. You can't change the identity of something by calling it a different name. Yeah, you can't change the actuality of something by giving it a different name. Okay, but we do that with a lot of different things. Okay. I.e., I'm not participating in Halloween. I'm just having a harvest. (laughs) A harvest party. A harvest party. Yeah. But you're not changing the actuality of the thing. No. You're making it politically correct, which is a logical fallacy. Or when you... I forgot the the term. Uh, But it's basically when you try to Christianize things. You take something pagan or secular and you give it a Christian name and expect that that makes it okay. Mm-hmm. It doesn't change the thing. Right. That's fascinating. Yeah. But these are logical fallacies, written, understood logical fallacies that we see in our world all the time, and nobody's calling them out. Political movements that are illogical. We, we should not have to deal with this. We should have shut down plausible deniability, political correctness, zero tolerance, as soon as they hit the top of the water. No. These are illogical things understood illogical things that have no place in our society. I'm sorry, Mr. Dean, uh, your time is up. Yeah. I don't know what's <laughs> going on with your mic. Uh, we just lost him just that quick. Ladies and gentlemen, up in news up here at, at six, we've got a wonderful thing from the president. President talks about the wonderful blow that we've been able to deal with PETA for, <laughs> for victims and survivors of things happening to, uh, animal companions, no longer called pets, but right. we'll get into that new at five. <laughs> What the hell? Right. But I mean, that's about as far as you go. You're not really taking this stuff down. Right. right. And that would be the example when you're trying to call it out. All of a sudden, the media cuts you right off uh-huh. and gets right back into the, the programming that you're supposed to have. Yeah, no doubt. That's crazy. And it's funny because that takes us to the, the last step in the trivium, which is rhetoric. All right. Rhetoric, like we talked about, is things, how they affect other people. This, I think, has clearly degraded into that logical fallacy we just talked about, political correctness. Interesting. We're so overly concerned about how people are affected by things that now we're trying to change the names of things to change what they are inherently 
because of how they might affect somebody. I think it is a violent act that you would say that a trans man is not a man. That's, that's exactly it. It's not a violent act. I'm just making a statement. I'm not inciting violence. I'm not encouraging you. Yeah. It's illogical and not just from our perspective by a set, by one of a set list of logical fallacies that have been understood for years is, is, is violating. That's crazy. But yeah, so rhetoric is the art of using language effectively and persuasively. Unlike the way I said persuasively. I thought you were going to go with pervasive. <laughs> I don't know what my mouth was trying to do, but persuasively. Okay. Of or relating or concerned with rhetoric employed for rhetorical effect, especially asked merely for effect with no answer expected, like we talked about earlier. All right. But it's all about effect. How is what I'm going to say going to affect the person that I'm talking to? Okay. So a good example would be like if I'm trying to tell my wife I love her, like if I'm screaming at the top of my lungs that I love you in a violent, aggressive tone, Okay. It's probably not going to have the effect that I want my words to have, even though I'm using the right word and it's logically consistent with the idea that I'm trying to convey the rhetorical nature in which I'm saying it is not being effective. So that's how this completes this three steps of how humans communicate with one another. So it's almost like you need to know what to say, how to say it and why you're saying it. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, it wasn't bad for quick on the spot. No, I like that. That's pretty good. Have you heard that I'm responsible for what I say, but not for, not for what you understand? No. I've heard that a lot. I've seen it a lot on Facebook. You know what? Or, nah, I take it, yeah, I, I've seen some memes of that. Okay, yeah. It's not right. I think to a degree, we don't have absolute control over what people are hearing when we say something. Right. Mm -hmm. But saying that I'm not responsible for that, I, I think is a little bit dismissive. Here, here's what I mean. If you take a comedian, they, if they want to be successful, they are responsible to know their audience and know how to convey that information to have the effect of laughter in that group. Okay. That's their responsibility. Now you can't, you don't have absolute control that every time I say this line, everybody's going to laugh, but it's your responsibility to cater to the audience that you have to elicit the response that you want. True. The question is, is the response that you want understanding or is it an emotional reaction of laughter? We use the comedian. Yeah. Is the comedian responsible for getting you to understand the nuances of his joke? Or is he just responsible for communicating in a way that achieves a desired aim, which is your laughter? Well, there, there, there would have to be on some level an, an intellectual amount of understanding to elicit an emotional response. True. And I think what they say, I'm responsible for what I say, not just uttering the words, but using the right words like we just talked about, using the proper rhetoric mm -hmm. in order to communicate effectively. Right. Now, part of effective communication is crafting your speech in a way that makes it palatable for who you're talking to. Okay. But I, I don't know if I would go as far as to say it's the responsibility of the speaker to ensure 
that the person understands. Right. Now they can make an effort to. Well, that's why I say like, I don't like, there is a level of responsibility. Right. Cause it's a relationship. Right. Like there's a responsibility of the person listening to try to assimilate and try to understand. And there's also responsibility on the one speaking. So I don't like just the dismissive, well, I'm going to say whatever I want, and I'm not responsible for what you understand from it. I, I get you. Yeah. I mean, like you said, there is responsibility on both sides in any relationship mm-hmm. or any level of communication, because even if it's just a level of communication, that's forming some type of relationship. Right. Most people wouldn't think of communication as a relational activity. Right. I can just talk at you or talk at the wall for all, all I care. And you pick up what you pick up. Well, this is one thing that you've really been drilling into me as we've had this podcast is there's one thing to have the information. It's another thing to convey the information in a way that can be understood and enjoyed. Right. So that's something, you know, being content creators that we have to think about. How do we put this together in a way that is palatable and understandable? That's partially our responsibility. Right. But at least you said partially. Partially. Now, to those listening, they bear a tremendous amount of responsibility. About 92%. To enjoy what we're saying. 95. And understand everything that comes out of our mouth. I mean, clearly. 98.6. Yeah, easily, easily. I'm willing to to step back and bend a little bit. I'll take some responsibility. Absolutely. But they hold a 99.83% of responsibility here. (laughs) Survival right of COVID is the responsibility that they have. Right. (laughs) I don't know if we keep pushing this number up. (laughs) (laughs) I know you can't go much higher than it is. 100%. (laughs) (sighs) But the scary thing for me in all of this, so we've talked about the trivium, we've talked about grammar, we've talked about logic, and we've talked about rhetoric. And some of it, I mean, some of those logical fallacies, like you were saying, are even a little bit over our head that take time to digest. This is a problem because these are all lower modes of thinking. Right. The higher modes of thinking is jurisprudence, philosophy, theology. I don't know why I couldn't think of that. What's the other one? Help me out. Medicine. Law, medicine, theology, and philosophy. The problem that I see here is that we have a majority of the population engaging in higher forms higher faculty modes of thinking and having no understanding of the lower ones. That right there is a million dollar statement. It's dangerous. Extremely, extremely dangerous. And that's how our society is running. And when you couple that with the whole, don't question the authority, authority figure, you're going to run headlong into some problems. Right. Very quickly. Yeah. It's like, it would be like learning how to run before you could even walk. I don't think that's possible. Maybe not. It shouldn't be possible, which just means that the people engaging in these things without understanding the seven sacred sciences or the several seven liberal arts or the trivium quadrivium cannot be successfully navigating those fields of higher faculty modes of thought if they don't understand these. It's not possible. Exactly. It's crazy. So we've got to sift through the information in order to find meaning, which I think we did pretty well just there. Like we, we hammered it home, right? I think so. Yeah. Cause if we, but, if, but, but, but it is not 
our responsibility. <laughs> I was going to say for, for our audience to find <laughs> meaning in what we say. That was too easy. Yeah, we should just we should be able to mutter through and mumble through anything with the confidence that they're going to hear much more than this. <laughs> so here's the question before us today. Are we really a species at the pinnacle of education and discovery? Or have core tenets of our learning been stripped away, leaving us vulnerable and susceptible to the control matrix? I would say clearly the latter. We are vulnerable and we are susceptible of the matrix of occult control that trickles down from the elites. Absolutely. And I would say just given this, the, the basic run of the mill conversations that I have with people mm -hmm. that we are nowhere near the pinnacle of education and discovery. <laughs> no, nowhere near, but we're taught because of our technological advancements that this is the height of humanity. Absolutely. Especially when you run through an evolutionary historical framework mm -hmm. um, that really completes the cycle. If you dispel that notion, then you have to start asking some deeper questions like, are we progressing? If we are progressing in technological advancement, you run that backwards. There's got to be a zero point, right? Where, where was the zero point? Okay. Is there a zero point in the history? Now, if we've thrown out the evolutionary record, right? And mm -hmm. we're looking at a different one. I'm, I'm suggesting off the bat, use the biblical record. It is the only historically proven accurate document that traces historical information. Archaeologists refer back to this thing. Mm -hmm. They're making discoveries based on that record. Right. It's a historical book more than anything. It's a history book. So if that's the case, is there a zero point in our, in our past? Scripture actually shows, yes, there was. Okay. You got to look at Tower of Babel. Yep. All right. We come, we, we, we encounter a, a reset, if you will, within the human race. Mm -hmm. So this whole thing we've been talking about with the trivium, that was incredibly affected immediately by God's judgment because he made a judgment on the language of people. Right. We lost communication skills. You were saying at the very beginning of this episode about how important communication was. We were talking about, uh, Vir virus communication uh -huh. and immediately what i thought about was tower of babel i was just gonna wait okay but i was like yep if all of them are waiting to get in sync to attack and disrupting that communication could cause you to alleviate the effects of the common cold mm -hmm. what in the world could happen with humanity if you break up their communication <laughs> capacity yeah and you reset things right? right it takes us back it explains the hunter gatherer stage of humanity that we see. Right. Because despite how technologically advanced we might have been at the Tower of Babel, creating portals into other uh, dimensions and stuff, you separate everyone and you really got to start at square one, hunting and gathering food for survival. That's it. That's, That's all you, you got. You can focus on for generations until you improve. Right. So then I think that that disbands the notion of technological advancement. I think we are in a stage of technological recovery. No, I would agree. Not really advancement. And we have several scientific discoveries to poke holes in that ridiculous evolutionary theory. So you know that we've found um, micro artifacts, right? 
I've heard this vaguely, not not really knowledgeable on the, the subject. We found, uh, at the very least, just this this idea alone, that we found springs that could not have occurred naturally. Okay. You know, that show proof of craft. Okay. Springs that are five microns long. And That's for, incredibly short. For those that don't know, the uh, the diameter of a hair. The human hair is one micron, right? It's 100. Oh, 100 microns. I'm pretty sure. You you can you can look me up fact check me real quick but yeah I'm pretty sure so these these springs are itty bitty and they're ancient which would indicate that there was technology sophisticated enough to to melt down metals to be able to craft them with such precision long 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 before we ever had um the hunter gatherer stage or whatever. Like it, it's not just that slow progressive uptick of technology. Were you able to find anything, Jason? Yeah. Uh, it's approximately 70 microns, 70. Okay. Give or take 20 microns, depending on the thickness. So you give 20 microns, it'll put you at 90. Okay. So, so I, yeah, I, I was in the ballpark, but yeah, so five, five microns, tiny springs, ancient springs. That's crazy. You got to have little people for that. <laughs> That's all it is. There's no technology. They're just like fairies making springs. Hold on now. Now that sounds preposterous, <laughs> right? Well, it did until I said fairies. And I was like, wait, that might actually be a thing. Hey, that's exactly where my <laughs> mind went because apparently there, there were so many different types of Nephilim beings created, uh-huh. including the little people. Okay. You know, as well as some of the things you read about more fanciful uh, renditions like orcs and trolls and uh, Sasquatch and, and you know, all those types of things. Apparently, the, those beings really existed. Right. So it, it wouldn't be too far off to really suggest that maybe smaller organisms like fairies on the smaller end, because fairies can also go up to the big end, mm-hmm. um, could have been involved in some of that manufacturing. No, that makes sense. But we're still at a loss technologically <laughs> in, in this era because we don't have any of that. Right. So even the quote unquote advancements we make are really just recovering lost information. Well, even in, in the very recent history, have you heard of the Anakathera mechanism? Yeah, you introduced me to that. I had never heard of it before talking to you. Super crazy. So and and I'm gonna bring it up in another episode so I'll have better details, but I'm pretty sure it's this. It's this giant clock with interconnected gears. Or not giant clock, but it's a clock with interconnected gears. And I believe 52 separate gears. And it tracks like all 18 moon phases. It tracks years, times. And of course, because it was made by the Greeks, the Olympics. Really? And this super advanced, and I'll say super advanced, mechanical clock was found 1400 years or dated 1400 years before the first actual like human man-made clock. Really? Isn't that nuts? That is crazy. 1400 years is a long time. Right? You'd have to explain that. Yeah. So I just looked up, I was back on microns for, for whatever reason. Okay. And this, this, um, diagram popped up giving a list of certain things physically that we can relate to that have various micron measurements. 
Okay. All right. So 70 microns diameter of a human hair, right? Yeah. 40 microns is the the threshold, visibil- visibility threshold of the naked eye. Like the smallest thing you could possibly see. So you can't see anything under 40? No. Wow. 25 microns is a the diameter of a white blood cell. Eight microns is the diameter of a red blood cell. What, did I say blood cell before? Yeah, did white blood white? cell. Oh, white. Okay, I'll make sure I said that. And then two microns is the Cacacus bacteria. So they've found manufactured springs that are between the bacteria and a red blood cell? Yeah. Wow. I didn't even know it was that small. Like, in my mind, it was, like, smaller than a human hair. That, that's where I put it. You know what I right? mean? That's insane. Absolutely mind-blowing. And we have several structures that have been built that we don't know how they were able to do it because we wouldn't even be able to do it today. Right. I mean, you got a human skin cells between 20 and 40 microns. Dang, that's crazy. Like, this type of stuff is absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. The, the eye of a fruit fly is about 70 microns across. So that place is about the, the same diameter as the human hair. Okay. But the eye itself isn't the smallest unit. Each eye is made up of 760 smaller subsets of eyes. Uh, and a fruit fly? Yeah. And those eyes are about five microns in diameter each. Wow. Are you kidding me? Because now, now I'm thinking about the wiring for each eye. Yeah. And the optical nerve bundle pack. You know what I mean? Right. 700 this Aside? all eat not that listen you're missing the point the point is that all of this evolved from me, genetic mutational properties all chance yeah this randomly happened in both eyeballs <laughs> right right <laughs> exactly that's nonsense dude this is crazy yeah on a freaking flu- fruit fly I- i'm gonna have a little bit more respect for him as i smash him now I got more respect when they dodge, but I'm also going to be like, you're cheating. <laughs> you got 1400 eyes. Yeah, exactly. Turn off half of those and let's go <laughs> at it again. I've only got two and I'm, I'm still st- going to get you. Right. <laughs> Cause I am the apex predator here, <laughs> but oh, I can't, funny. I can't see that thing in front of my foot. When I go and smash my toe, against the side of something. Yeah. But I will get that fly. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I think I, I, uh, for anybody who's interested in this whole micron thing, we'll go ahead and post this uh, in our show notes on the website. Cool. I'll have to look at it. Yeah, th- this was actually fascinating stuff um, in this. But getting back to what we were talking about. Yeah, what, what do we do then if we really can't trust our institutions to provide us with the necessary tools to properly navigate our world? All right, well, let's just hit the home, hit, hit the thing. Hit the nail square on the head. Okay. It's not if you can't. It's that you can't. You know, stop correcting my grammar. It's not that important. I'm only... Okay, sorry. You seem to be having an emotional outburst, (laughs) and your rhetoric is bothering me. In fact, to to use uh, Christopher Walken, your tone is all wrong. (laughs) You're coming at me all wrong. Do it again. I'll stab you in the face with a soldering iron. I'm just saying, Joe Dirt 2 was very informative. It was a beautiful documentary on what happens in, 
No, but you're right. It's not if. It's that we can't. We have to really recognize that. You cannot trust your educational system. Right. Is everything they teach you a lie? No. Is much of what they teach you a lie? Possibly. Do they lie to you? Unequivocally. Yep. Now, you figure out which one's important. I remember seeing this sign for uh, home protection. It said, this house is protected by gun three nights a week. You pick which three. <laughs> I was like, I need that. Matter of fact, That's I need two of dope. Those. I like that. Right? So the same thing goes with a lie. This school system teaches you lies three days a week. You pick which three. Right. You got to recognize they lie to you. Therefore, probably getting yourself into that system in the first place would, would not be the most effective thing. Right. So my first suggestion would be avoid the system in the first place as much as possible, right. i.e. homeschool. Mm-hmm. But to do that, it requires one of two things. Either you have to reorganize your life, which really may not be that easy to restructure it. Right. Or you have to intentionally go into it as you're building your life. Like you have to build the framework to support that. Right. Which means you have to understand your budgeting. You got to maybe change your perspective on how, what level of life you thought you were going to live at. You know, you got to look at, can we manage uh, a single income household? You know, if we're not a two income household for a certain period of time, like that's all you got to build that into it. And not everybody can do that, but as much as possible, I would say start to homeschool. Um, And in our, in our second episode, I believe we listed some of the, um, some of the resources available for people who wanted to look further into homeschooling. Mm-hmm. That they could get into. Um, maybe we should post that. Okay. With, with this, if you can't do that though, definitely start establishing methods and practices of educating yourself. Right. That is a super huge thing to to begin to learn again. That skill of self education. You cannot educate yourself completely. Obviously, we know that. Mm-hmm. Some things are specialized and you, you would do better maybe to talk to someone that's skilled in that area, but as much as possible, learn to engage with your environment and learn from your environment, because that is one of the things they, that is one of the things that they strategically took out of our educational process. They stopped allowing people to engage with nature and learn from their surroundings and their environment. Right. Because there's a tremendous amount that we pick up by just engaging with things. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to stop that. So you have to learn to teach yourself. In this day and age, yeah, of course, I would say get a book. That's not your jazz. Start using things like YouTube. There are many ways in this in this era of streaming and modern connectivity that we have access in an information age to a lot of a lot of resources. Right. And it's not that hard, really requires more initiative than it does access to information. Right. You just have to be willing to spend a few moments researching something. Mm-hmm. Google that. What do they call it? What did Cynthia tell me that was? GTS. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I'm told. Google that stuff. Yeah, I like it. And you can find out that information, right? Mm-hmm. I think we should also establish social connections. Right. Like we made connections with Brian Dean from Dangerous World Podcast. Absolutely. And, uh, and that's like a treasure trove of new information. Right. Matt T from The Great Deception is a good one. You can reach out to us. 
Like one of the best things that we can do is create those social connections. Yeah. You got to have a network. Yeah. You're, you're not isolated. You know, you don't want to envision yourself as the singular cell, you know, single virus waiting to just, when do you strike? I need other people. Right. Start making the connections. Yeah. Open up those, those modes of communication so you can, you can plan. And you know, the, the real frustrating thing, honestly, this is all stuff that the church should have been doing. Yes. Should have been doing for a long time. Right. I know people who hear me talk to like, oh, you're so critical of the church. I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Most people in the church are critical of the world. And they're not that critical of themselves. It's backwards. Exactly. We're supposed to be critical of ourselves more than we are of the world. It's so bad that I've heard people say that they don't have a problem with Jesus, like they're a fan of Jesus, mm -hmm. but they really don't like what the church has become. That is a terrible look. Right. That is a terrible look for the church. It should not be like that. You know, it's the equivalent of being like, I really love your husband. He's cool beans, but your wife gets on my freaking nerves. That's not the way that it should be. It shouldn't. And if you're looking at a consistent hole in a couple, you'd be sitting there going, all right, that, that doesn't make sense, right? Something's wrong here that needs to be corrected. Yeah. And it needs to be. It, it shouldn't be left as a norm, is my mm, point. Right. It should be corrected so that I love, I love my husband, I love the white. I love Christ. I love the church. Mm -hmm. which, that is the express representation of Christ. Yes. Like, Christ had this down pretty good. I know I just used a marriage uh, metaphor. So this is going to be confusing to someone when I compare it the other way. But as far as an express representative or an ambassador, take it that way. Mm -hmm. um, the church should be the express representative of Christ, right? The ambassador. Okay. So if you don't know anything about Christ, come check us out. We'll teach you about him. You'll learn the key things you need to know by dealing with us. But by that same model and that same decree, Christ was an, was an express representation of Yahweh, of, of the Father. Mm -hmm. He was the divine ambassador to humanity. Same exact replica. If you get to know me, you're knowing dad. Right. We're not any different. Mm -hmm. I am slightly, I mean, we're, we're distinctively different in our personhood, but in how we roll in our essence, no, we are like this son. Right. We are absolutely linked up. We are, you call us one. Mm-hmm. You know, that would help you because we're not two. Yeah. You follow me? Yeah, yeah. It's the good. The church really should have been doing that uh, for for society, being that representation, actually not allowing footholds to be ceded to the enemy. Right? Right. The church should have been following the the uh, rules of engagement. It should have been, for sure. But what do you have? You have people actually sitting here thinking that everything's okay. They've gotten conditioned by by an educational system that's basically lulled them to sleep. And they think they're in a safe place. Like we're somewhere on the back prairie of Kansas, right? And we're mm -hmm. not realizing. You are not in Kansas anymore. You are on Pandora, ladies and gentlemen. Respect that fact every second of every day. Out there beyond that fence, Every living thing that crawls, flies, or squats in the mud wants to kill you and eat your eyes for jujubes. If you wish to survive, you need to cultivate a strong mental attitude. You've got to obey the rules. Pandora rules. Got to obey the rules. Now, this dude gets it. He does. This is a, uh, you know, that's a clip lifted from... 
I always want to call it Pandora, but it's lifted from Avatar. Right. And it's a safety brief meeting. It's getting everybody acclimated to the expectations of the environment you serve in. Yeah, look, you're in danger. Get it through your head. Right. This is not a, 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 a what do they call that, a, a summer home retreat in Florida, right? Right. It's not a vacation. You're not putting your feet up. This is not great time for me to get off planet and just <laughs> enjoy a little uh, Pandorian getaway. Right. You are in a dangerous, hostile environment in everything here. Everything? Yes, thank you. Everything is designed to kill you, including the atmosphere that you're breathing. Mm-hmm. So but, you got to know the rules. Right? This dude dials it in. He zeroes in the scope immediately on what the real deal here is. Learn these rules because you are in a hostile environment. And the first rule, educate yourself. Got to. That's what we were talking about a moment ago. Mm-hmm. You have to do that in order to develop a strong mental aptitude. And you need that. Because you're at war, it is easy to get mentally fatigued. Right. Just doing some of this logical thinking we had to do in this episode was tiring. Yeah, some of it was rough. Because we're not conditioned. We haven't built up the the tolerance and the capacity to run at speed over that type of a distance dealing with those type of mental weights. Mm-hmm. Right? You have to build up to that. So how do you? what do you do here? Well, you got to know your war doctrine. That's scripture. Yep. Scripture is what we have to study. It's our responsibility to educate ourselves in truth. Mm-hmm. Second Timothy 2.15 tells us that we need to study to show ourselves approved. Right? So that we're not ashamed and we can actually rightly divide the word of truth. Now, that was dealing with, with the Bible, but we need to actually be able to ascertain, discern truth. Right. That well, requires I mean- study. Even if that didn't mean anything outside of the Bible, how are you supposed to rightly divide and understand text without grammar and logic at least? Right. You've got to have that. Yeah. And then more importantly, you've got to do it so that you can discern between right and almost right. Yeah. Because that's kind of the game that we're playing with out here when we're dealing with all these typological fallacies like zero tolerance, political correctness, all that type of crap, right? Mm-hmm. That's the, that's really the, the ammo that's being slung at us, you know. This is this is this is incredibly important stuff. You got Proverbs ten four, which actually warns us that the wise build up knowledge, and Proverbs one seven warns us that a fool despises wisdom. Now, some people might think wisdom is actually building up knowledge. Wisdom is actually the proper application of knowledge. Right. Right. So knowledge would be <laughs> stick a fork in a live circuit; it'll shoot out. Mm-hmm. Wisdom would be. Don't do that. <laughs> right. Right. There, there, there's that's, a difference. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, but we, you got you got to remember we're in a war and we can't be foolish. If there's a responsibility on us for anything, it is to get an understanding. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And to not actually be foolish. And one of the things that that we said a moment ago, you know, fools despise wisdom and correction. So we got to correct ourselves. we got to get the wisdom to know exactly how to properly apply the knowledge that we should be learning from rule number one. And we have to be open to other people correcting us as well. Right. you got to have the humility for that so that you can adjust your thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, scripture actually anticipates in Acts 18.4 uh, that Paul, who tells us that he, he would go in the synagogue daily to persuade Jews and Greeks to believe in Jesus. Now, Jesus knew the world would need to hear truth, and we're both to be persuaded and to persuade others of the truth that we know. But that implies that we do have to study to know that actual truth right? so that we can convey it to people. Mm-hmm. Got to remember, and Christopher, I hope people don't 
I don't want to say don't forget this. I actually hope more people understand and remember what I'm about to say. Christianity is a knowledge-based belief system. It 100% is. Even the idea of faith is based on knowledge. Mm-hmm. It is not a fairy tale system of sentimentality, of wishful thinking. God holds people responsible for what they know mm-hmm. and what they refuse to admit based on what they know. That's right. the point of, of, of this belief system. But it raises the question, how do we hope to effectively proselytize people if we're arrogant of rhetoric? We can't. You can't really convey what you know. Right. It'd be an impossibility. And I think that's one of the reasons that's under attack. For sure. Because our, our moral enemy understands that. And because we're under attack, that takes us to rule two, is we can't cede any ground to the enemy. We are under attack and they are moving against us. The biblical counteroffensive strike package, much like Call of Duty's score streaks. Oh, I love that. Love that. <laughs> it's a three-phased <clears throat> three assault. Scripture tells us that we have to expose, oppose, and depose. So we have to reveal what the enemy is doing. We have to fight against it. And then we have to depose it, take it down from its throne, stomp on it a little bit, show everybody that it's illogical. It's funny you say stomp on it. I remember my uncle one time was telling me, I wanted to learn self-defense. Mm-hmm. And he was like, what are, you, what are you trying to do? I said, I need to learn to really defend myself in a fight. So he showed me a move. He was like, grab him here, flip him here, and then you do the James Brown on him. I said, the James Brown? And he said, yeah, you stomp him and you dance on him all like this. <laughs> Never forgotten. That's well, funny. What are my key threats? Don't make me go James Brown on you. Is, is that your signature move? That's right. Hey, you hit that. <laughs> ah, you get. Ah, 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 ah. That's how it goes. Papa got a brand new foot in your behind. Ow. Did you just smash together <laughs> Street Fighter and, and James, James Brown? Brown. <laughs> that is the epic mashup. Uh, you got that here, ladies and gentlemen, live <laughs> on the podcast. That's fantastic. Oh, geez. <laughs> Ephesians 5.11 says, have no fellowship with the works of darkness, but expose them. James 5, 7 says that we are sub- to subject ourselves to the authority of scripture and use that authority to resist the devil. And then 2 Corinthians 10, 5, one of my favorite scriptures is that we are to demolish every argument and pretension that sets itself up against what God has said is true and keeps people from knowing him. That's the counteroffensive strike package. Expose, oppose, and depose. Absolutely. And that we, we got to follow through on that. Got to. Because if, if you don't, we are going to end up giving up ground. That's what led to what we have, the problems we got in the educational system now. Mm-hmm. Because the church wasn't speaking up. It's also the point you were making a moment ago, which as soon as we saw these logical fallacies being propagated uh, you know, to the public as legitimate reasons for action, we should have been see- not ceding that ground. We should have been attacking. Right. You know, exposing it for what it is. It was a logical fallacy. Resisted it. I'm not voting for anything that has that as a built-in component of that political platform. And then deposing it. Anybody that's believing in that and using that, hey, you got to come down from public office. I'm not supporting you. Right. I'm yeah. not supporting school systems that are teaching this. Yeah. Right? I'm not supporting uh, superintendents. I'm not supporting uh, dean of education. I'm not supporting political agendas that have this built in. Like, no, it's a no-go. That's how you fight it. And we have to do it even in our local environments. Right. That's how we fight on national levels. We all come together. Again, back to that virus 
metaphor or example. <laughs> I like that. I can't believe it carried so long through this All the way episode. through. That's great. Yeah, that's one of the first ones that's done that. Yeah. But that, that's awesome. But each person in their local local um, jurisdiction and their local community has got to fight by these rules. And if we do that collectively, then we begin to infiltrate that system. Right. That's really the best way to make change. It's not in the way the system will tell you to make change, which is by who you vote in. Right. That's a mistake. Yeah, because we've had multiple parties across the history of the United States, and historically, we still have been following a track of degradation in our education. Yep. That For goes sure. beyond political lines. So just who you have in office is not going to really change that. Right. Oh, that's good. But I think that takes us to rule number three where we have to pray like it's all up to God and work, work, work like it is all up to us. I love that, that point because mm-hmm. this is a relationship. It's a marriage between two concepts. Yeah. And you can't get it wrong. You can't just do one without the other. It is literally like inhaling and not exhaling or exhaling and not inhaling. Either failure will lead to your demise. That is an excellent example. I like that. Thanks, man. You got to inhale and exhale. Nice. So what do you have for prayer? What's the suggestion? For prayer, I think that we need to pray that we're able to learn. I What do you mean? Well. Learn me something, Christopher. What you mean? Well, we know that we are under a satanic control matrix that has put many things in place to prevent our understanding and prevent us from learning. Okay. A lot of that is physical, you know, in, in the physical plane, um, political, you know, those types of things. But there are elements to this that are supernatural and God can also help intervene and allow us to penetrate the, the physical things that are preventing our, our understanding. Because I know for me, when I really decided to turn my life over to Christ and be like, all right, dude, whatever you want, I'm on board with it. Like I've tried enough things on my own and it, it, it hasn't brought about the life that I thought it was supposed to. And clearly you're real. So let's do this thing together massively sped up my cognitive ability. And I'm not, I'm not boasting in, in any sense, but I, I didn't think I was ignorant before, mm-hmm. but there was a, a huge change in the way my brain processed information once Jesus came into my life and changed me. You mean you weren't always this smart? No, I don't even think I'm this smart now. Oh, you're smart. <laughs> I almost want to go back to pre-Jesus, Dean, just to, for comparison, but don't do that. Don't we do that. We're stay where we at. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's not as likable of a character as, yeah. as post Jesus Dean. I, I like post Jesus Dean. <laughs> PJD. Yeah, that, that's funny. I think that we also need to pray that we're able to unlearn the detrimental things that we've already learned. Okay, dude, that is a very astute point. Uh, I believe it's my brother-in-law that actually said to me one of the one of the problems he sees in the the general public is not just that they don't learn. But even more importantly than that, it's the fact that they don't actively unlearn. Right. You have to unlearn. You do. And that's a whole different process. Like you, you, learning is taking in information, right? Mm-hmm. And making certain cognitive con, uh, conclusions on, on that information. But that information can either be, or the conclusion can be wrong or it may not be fully fleshed out. Mm-hmm. So you could have an invalid conclusion or you could just have an immature, undeveloped conclusion. Right. When you get new information, you got to go back and reconclude. You do. You have to refresh. Like if you what if you update an app, you have to power it down, power it back on. Right. Yeah. Same. You got to do the same thing with the info. The problem is a lot of us just take in and take and take and take. 
we don't assort, we don't throw out, we don't rearrange, like we don't defrag. Right. We so, just, so given any particular emotional climate, we're liable to land on any one of five um, conclusions that we've gained along the way, despite how illogical they are. Right. Or their inherent incongruity with each other. Right. Just, hey, this, this is all I know. This is what I was taught. It's not good. This is what I learned. Yeah. So unlearning is almost as important as learning. Mm-hmm. It's getting that breathe and exhale. Right. I mean, not breathe, but inhale, exhale. Inhale, exhale. <laughs> right. That's funny. So for work, I mean, it's just so vitally important that we realize that action is necessary. As much as we like to talk, as much as we encourage thinking in, you know, the the individual space, right? Mm-hmm. I, action is necessary. There's action being taken against us consistently every day. There is, and that kind of dovetail, dovetails back to something I wanted to say with your first point about prayer that we're able to learn. Mm-hmm. There is action being taken against us that even inhibits our ability to learn. Not just the stuff we discussed today, but remember, Scripture says that Satan the God of this world has actively blinded the people on this planet so that they are not able to perceive the truth. Right. Hence why we must pray for supernatural intervention, Mm -hmm. but at the same time be willing to work that process out with our neighbor. Right. Right. You can't sit back on the sofa and just hope to be successful against these methodological attacks that are coming at us. Right. You actually have to realize that action is necessary. For sure. We have to make time to rise out of our own ignorance. I like that. It's a difficult thing to come to terms with the fact that everything up until now might be tainted. It is a, it is a, it is a brave step. It's a brutal reality and a brave step to go, okay, how can I change this? How can I step out from underneath the layer of um, comfortable ignorance that has been put on me since I was born. But I think it's the rarest person that's willing to do that. Yeah. But we've, we've got to, there's so many things implemented to dumb us down. We've got to, to know that we need to act. We've got to be brave enough to step out and grow past our ignorance. You do. There's a, a, a young lady that actually became recent, follower listener of ours okay um and she sent me a, a text after listening to uh, a few of our episodes mm-hmm. and one of the things she said was that this information wasn't new to her mm-hmm. because she these are subjects that interest her but she said I, I try to be the type of person where i will investigate this and find out what's true no matter how ugly that truth is that's dope right i was like that is a rare person and that's how you have to be because a lot of this stuff is not comfortable to come to terms with. It's not. It, it can be disheartening. It can leave you feeling hopeless, right? It can lead you almost falling back into the arms of the system that is abusing you right now. Right. Like, well, what else can I do? Mm-hmm. So I'll just go along with, with what, what it takes for me to get along. And yeah. you, you, you can't do that and be the effective change. Right. Right. It takes a strongly, a strong aptitude and an individual that's willing not to cede any ground that they gain in order to fight that out. I see what you did there. You like that? That was dope. Yeah. <laughs> but that's why we also spend a lot of the time to try to put together the show notes and the links and the resources to make this a little bit easier. 
because we are, uh, what is it, drowning in information and starving for understanding? Well, in a world that drowns in data but looking for information. Yeah, okay. But so, same basic idea, yeah. Right, so we try to help put that together. Not that we have all the answers, we're just trying. If I mean, if you find that we're wrong about stuff, let us know. You know, we're not above reproach either. So you can you can check us out at orppodcast.com. Still sounds sounds good to say, you know? I, I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> if you're on the desktop, uh, just go to podcast uh, in the drop-down menu and go to show notes, and that will uh, take you. You can The air date of the show will take you directly to all of the notes, the highlights for the show, and, and links to, to books, YouTube videos, online articles, anything that we might have used to, to – to put this episode together. Yep. And if you guys have questions for the show, you can email us at questions at orppodcast.com. Yeah. And we'll, we'll read that, get back to you. Might even make it on the show. Right. Happy to help out any way that we can. But here's the last thing that you can do. Remind yourself of what scripture tells us, which is we are never alone. We are not fighting alone. God has promised to never leave us. And we have a community of believers, whether it be in the podcast world and the real world, all over the place, a community of believers all over the country and the world and a God who intervenes on our behalf. Because one day we won't be dumb. (laughs) One day we will know fully just as we are known. One day we will be free of the oppressive systems that want to prevent our development. One day God himself will guide our understanding. But until then, we are deployed on this dystopian rock by our savior in chief, the very one that's commissioned us on a seesaw. That's right. We're on a combat search and rescue mission here, people. And be advised, the hostages we're after are likely to be hostile towards us. But you know what? We still gotta go get them. Now our task and order is simple. We're to search for and rescue anyone sympathetic to Christ, but is currently held hostage under Satan's deception. Make no mistake, we will be operating in a hostile environment, but the rules of engagement are clear. Listen to me. You take fire, I expect you to give fire. Now, I need you to keep your head on a swivel out there. You gotta stay frosty, stay faithful, and above all, stay in the fight. That means do not give up, because we're counting on you. You ain't alone out there. We're fighting right next to you, and we'll see you out there again fighting on the front line. 10-4.